Charlie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, we're excited to have you with us uh, September 18th and 19th. Actually, September 19th is the part that you'll be at, and we're looking forward to hearing you speak. We're excited about uh, the things that you've done. Um, for those that don't know, uh, you've, you've started a, a national movement with Turning Point USA, and I believe you were 18 years old when you started that, correct? And would you mind just giving us the little history of that and, sure. and, and walking us through it? So I uh, started Turning Point USA when I was 18 and uh, never went to college. I ended up being the best decision. I, I guess the best decision I made and the best thing that never happened to me, I guess that's a pretty good way to word it. And it was, it's been an amazing eight years uh, from June of 2012 to where we are now. And uh, Turning Point has grown tremendously. We're now on over 2,000 high school and college campuses across the country. We do a podcast, the Charlie Kirk Show podcast. That's not... Uh, under the Turning Point USA umbrella, but it definitely was inspired because of it. Uh, doing two podcasts a day, almost 12 podcasts a week. And yeah, we're fighting for America's the American culture every single day. I mean, we are losing our country rapidly. Uh, we have to fight the left. We have to tell the world what we believe in and why we believe in it. And uh, we have a country to save. We've got a lot of work to do. That's so good. That's so good. And uh, a little background on you. I know that uh, you started the Falkirk Institute mm -hmm. with Jerry Falwell, and you got an honorary doctorate there. I'll, I'll add that um, I got my master's there and, and currently in seminary there, so I oh, awesome. really appreciate that about you. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, and uh, you, you, how many events do you all typically do pre-COVID per year? And we would be doing almost an event a day during the school year if you count all of our campus, all of our chapters, 2,000 high school and college uh, chapter, uh, campuses across the country are represented on nearing a thousand official chapters recognized by the school, which is incredible. Um, look, we're still doing events. We hosted the president a month ago in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, 3,400 students under our 501c4 organization, Turning Point Action, uh, had 3,400 students there. And uh, despite the pandemic and all that, we still were able to pack it out. And the media conveniently ignored that, that we were able to have 3,400 people in a room and we're able to do a really big, you know, really successful job of that. So. Um, we are the most active, uh, fastest growing, and biggest conservative student organization out there, and uh, you know we're only only going to get bigger. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned that you never went to college, and I've heard you speak on this before. Uh, what do you tell parents that are thinking about sending their uh, kids off to college? And you've also talked about the importance of trade schools. Uh, could you expound on that a bit? Yeah. I mean, I um, I'm a big believer that that college can be um, college can be a very good decision for people and college can be a very bad decision for people. Just automatically believing that every single college, uh, every kid should go to college, I think is wrong and is not rooted in facts at all whatsoever. Uh, I think we should start from the default position that you shouldn't go to college and then prove to yourself that why you should. So bad reasons to go to college is because your parents uh, have told you that you have to go to college. Uh, other bad reasons to go to college is just because you think you have to go to succeed that is not true the data does not reflect that at all whatsoever um, colleges have become it's incredibly overpriced uh, a lot of families particularly suburban families think you need to go to college to succeed um, that is proving not to be true we have a huge shortage in carpenters and plumbers HVAC uh, there's a lot of parents that don't want to see their kids become plumbers and I think that's ridiculous and I think that um, it's actually feeding into some very negative stereotypes in our country so look, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that the cycle of borrowing money you don't have to study things that don't matter, to find jobs that don't exist is very detrimental and um, really decays at the soul of our country and the foundation of it. 
And I think that we have to have a serious recalibration here where we no longer just continually send our most prized possessions to anti-American indoctrination camps so that they can go into debt so they can become Bernie Sanders voters of tomorrow and have very little ambition, no meaning, not believe in God and hate the country that they were born in. And so um, I'm not anti-college in the sense where I think it has no utility or meaning. Of course not. I think that if you're studying something that is going to be meaningful to you and able to get a job and you're able to pay for it, then by all means, go to college. Uh, be careful because they might convince you to hate America and believe there's no God and you'll end up being a miserable person. But that might be the right path for you. However, I, I think that for a lot of people, it ends up being a huge mistake. I mean, 40% of college graduates, 40% of college graduates end up getting jobs that require no college degree. 40%. The national graduation rate is 67%. That means 43, no, 33% of, actually might even lower, that's 59%. I'm sorry, it's 59%. That means 41% of kids that go to college will not graduate. We have a cycle of failure in colleges, and yet we keep on sending our kids to these schools, and our parents still think that it's going to be an assured place of success, and they're afraid if their kid doesn't go to college, they're not going to be able to be on a successful trajectory. That's just not the case. Act well. Um, you know, be, be a good person. Read the great books of society. You don't need to go to college to do that. Um, there's plenty of good websites out there that, can, that can explain to you what they mean. Get a job, any job, and outwork the person next to you. And then if you end up running into a barrier that's like, oh, you can't get through this door because you didn't go to college, well, then maybe that might be it. I've never found that door. I never went to college. That door doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll tell you that I've taught at a college for six years, and we need more teachers and more professors that are willing to just tell the truth and just be honest with their students about uh, the, the facts of history, because so many teachers are, are trying to distort history. And uh, I serve on the advisory board of Dinesh D'Souza's organization, and he talks in depth about the 1619 Project. Mm -hmm. and, a lot of these colleges are hell-bent on telling their students that, you know, America is not an exceptional nation, and in fact, it's, it's a terrible place, and yep. it's simply not true. And I know you talk in depth about American exceptionalism, about uh, freedom, and about liberty, and about the greatness of this country, mm -hmm. and do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I mean, look, we're seeing everything we care about disappear, and... You know, I'm going to be honest, a lot of Republican politicians have really disappointed me lately. And I know you're not supposed to say that, but I say it all the time. Some Republicans have been great. Some have been awful. Ted Cruz has been great, for example. He's been terrific, one of my favorites. Um, and now you're seeing the disintegration of the fabric of our country. And uh, that's not sustainable. And so you have the 1619 Project that purports that we were founded actually in 1619, not in 1776. This is an anti-history anti-factual analysis of of our country that is trying to do nothing more than try to have people believe a lie that we were founded on slavery not founded on freedom it's completely untrue uh, in 1776 we signed our birth certificate the declaration of independence which was our official dissolving of ties with the monarch of king george which was the superpower of its time we put very clearly in the declaration of independence uh, that you get our rights that are naturally protected, that are naturally given and then protected by government, hopefully, that are the laws of nature and nature's God, and that the unwillingness to recognize those rights will result um, in a tyrannical autocratic government. A year after the Declaration of Independence was signed, Vermont became the first state to abolish slavery, and they did in 1777. And then a couple years after that, you had a few other states do the same. We fight the war, defeat Great Britain, and then as we form the Constitution of the United States, 
there was a 20-year window of where importing of slaves was still allowed. But in the Constitution, I think it's Article 1, Section 6, I get the exact part of it, it says very clearly that the slave trade will be abolished after 20 years. 20 years later, you have a slave owner, Thomas Jefferson, become President of the United States. And on the first day that he was able to abolish the incoming slave trade, he did. We did it yeah. without fi- firing a shot. We abolished slavery by our third president, the incoming slavery, importing a slavery, which really was the backbone of the slave trade. Now, it took us a couple more decades to be able to actually abolish slavery as a practice in the United States. But by the time Thomas Jefferson abolished slavery in 1807, there was already half of the northeastern colonies that automatically came to the state-based conclusion to abolish slavery themselves. So the 1619 Project is historical malpractice. It's cultural malpractice. It's actually designed to make a country commit suicide and hate everything that we have grown to know to be true. And so they say, oh, Thomas Jefferson's statue has gone down. Well, they, did they mention to tell you that he was the president that abolished the American import of slave trade? That Thomas Jefferson, in an address to Congress in 1807, said that, and I'm paraphrasing, that the slave trade is one of the most immoral, evil practices a hum- humankind has ever engaged in. It must be abolished. George Washington said something similar before he left office. It was never a question at the American founding of whether or not slavery would be abolished. It was a question of how was it going to be abolished. Um, And some of the southern states obviously took a different philosophical view there. And unfortunately, it came to a collision point that was needed to have conflict to eradicate it once and for all. But the predominant view in America in order to keep America a union was always around a steady path of the abolition of slavery and the natural rights to all people. And any sort of ignoring of that American history is rooted in very miserable, resentful, and arrogant people that want to destroy our country. So true, so true. And as much as the left is attacking the founding fathers, it's only a matter of time until they start attacking the document that the founding fathers forged. And uh, they're already trying to subvert the Constitution, but Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next five, ten years um, as, as as they drift further and further left. Um, you talk a lot about the culture war. Uh, you, there's a quote. It says, politics is a byproduct of winners and losers of the culture war. To save the culture, we must win. You said that. Um, define the culture war and maybe talk about what's sure. at stake in this upcoming election. Look, a culture war is when a country goes through a existential crisis of, whether an, of, of an identity. Who are we as a country? So very simply... Should Mount Rushmore stay up or should it go down? Is our declaration a good document or a bad document? And even more simply, is America a racist country or not? And 56% of Americans, according to the Wall Street Journal, NBC poll, believe America is a racist country. That's not sustainable. Just so you know, um, we're five years out from a national divorce, if that's really the case. And I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what it means. I just know it's not good. (laughs) And so this whole idea that we're going to go back to how things were and we're all going to stay together, good luck. Yeah, um, that's when 56% of your country thinks you're awful, you, you got serious problems. And so the other, pro- the other part of this, which is really important, is just what does it mean to be an American? Is it an idea of strong families and one that values all human life, of individual initiative, freedom of speech, of the protection of God-given rights? Or is it some sort of backwards, Rousseauian, Marxist idea where the individual doesn't matter, the family should be destroyed, the church should be disintegrated. The Constitution is awful. That's what the left believes. Every single Democrat running for office runs under the umbrella of that ideology. And the stakes are really incredibly high. I mean, it's what really upsets me about Republicans right now is they're like, oh, yeah, if we lose, you know, we lose. But there might not be a country. Like, 
I, I, hate, I hate to put it that way, but we are so far apart philosophically and religiously and politically from some of these arsonists that the only way to deal with them is to defeat them and to embarrass them and to ridicule them. And if we're platforming them and if they're winning at the rate that they are right now, I'm really afraid for the health of America. Yeah, it's it's so important that we win. And Texas has 38 electoral college votes. And it, as Texas goes, so goes the nation. That's why it's so important that we win Texas. Um, so what can you tell us about winning amongst the youth, reaching the youth with a conservative message? Uh, you've been at this for eight years, and I'm sure you've learned a thing or two. Um, and what could you tell us uh, What's been difficult about about reaching the youth in this day? I mean, part part of the difficulty has been the tech companies and their relationship with people that call themselves Republicans and how they fund a lot of our lawmakers. That's a huge issue. Um, secondly, one of my biggest concern my, my biggest concern generally is that young people, young conservatives, are not given a big enough platform. I can't, you know, issue that complaint. The president has been unbelievable. I'm a huge Donald Trump fan. I am a massive supporter of President Trump, and he has been overly generous with me and i'm honored to call him a friend and someone who he's given a great platform but generally i think that young conservatives in general need to be given a bigger platform like that of alexandria kazi cortez rashida talib elon omar and ayanna presley and you see madison cawthorn win that surprise election in western north carolina as a signal to the rest of the party that there is a new generation coming that is very positive that is you know, very that is rooted in the Constitution and conservatism, which I'm very pleased about. Um, look, one of the big myths when dealing with young people say, oh, you have to be more f socially liberal and fiscally conservative. This is nonsense. It's just not true at all whatsoever. Young people want organized thinking. They want meaning in a chaotic life. They just don't want more money in their pocket. That's helpful. I, I'm, I'm a free market guy. I, I, love, I love private property. I'm a big capitalist. But I also think it's an incomplete picture. I think if we only sell low taxes and less regulation, we're nothing more than just a mouthpiece of what they consider to be, you know, a business puppet. And I don't think that's true. I just think that's how they categorize it. But also people want meaningful lives. They don't want confusion when it comes to gender or how to marry or how to act. And I think we actually have to be people that profess a morally organized, cohesive worldview, not just one where it's, oh, yeah, it's great. You'll be able to have less regulation. Well, am I going to have a country? Because <laughs> yeah. less regulation is fine. I'm a big fan of it. I think less regulation helps on all sense. But if you don't have a country, then what are we doing here, right? If you can't go to church, and I think so, I, I think that actually a socially conservative message wins with young people. It's completely different than what some of the GOP consultants would tell you, that they're complete fools and ignoramuses, um, some of them. And, you know, I completely reject it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good input, Charlie. And um, you talk about getting young people involved and having more young people perhaps run for office, I guess perhaps the, the intuitive uh, thinking there is, is a younger messenger might reach younger people and bring more younger people into our party. I think that's been true for Congressman Dan Crenshaw, uh, especially. Um, I think uh, his youth summit this past year had about around a couple thousand people, and, and I think he's doing another one this year. Um, and so he's actually been a friend of mine and inspired me to start the youth summit uh, that we're doing here in Montgomery County. And he quipped and he said, well, you're a copycat at lunch the other day. And I was thinking, well, he, he copied Charlie Kirk first. So yeah, uh, Dan uh, copied me I, and you could tell him I said that. What, what'd you say? Dan copied me and you could tell him I said that Dan's a friend. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I think there should be more of these popping up all over the country where you can 
come speak at because it's important that we reach the youth. It's so important that we reach the youth, and sometimes it does take a younger messenger uh, to do that. Um, I, I want to talk about your book, MAGA sure. Doctrine, and where is it available? Amazon, and I know it's been a number one on Amazon, and where else? Thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, it's available on Amazon. should be Barnes & Noble. I don't even know if they're even open anymore because <laughs> I think they all closed. <laughs> but uh, wherever books are sold. Um, look, I wrote this book prior to the virus and the lockdowns and the race riots. And it's funny, I reread it. I mean, you write it, and then you reread it. It's still as applicable today as it was before I realized. It's like, did I say anything that I'm going to regret? You know, it's like I kind of just, the world is completely different than it was in February. And then it's everything I wrote in that book is just as true today as I was. Actually, it's even more true, I would say, that President Trump argues for the closure of our borders, that President Trump was apprehensive against China, that President Trump calls out the nonsense of the activist media, which has only intensified and gotten worse in recent weeks. So uh, thank you for mentioning it. Uh, I, a lot of people have read it and have gotten a lot of value in it. I, I think it's even going to be applicable post-Trump because I think there's some really important lessons and things that I think we should embrace the spirit of Donald Trump and our party in the sense that the ruling class has betrayed us in the sense that the ruling class, which is in both political parties and in the corporate elite and in even the religious elite. I mean, you see some of these people that call themselves pastors and they're marching with BLM signs. I mean, it's extraordinary. And so what Donald Trump was, was he was a vessel that, of course, used to be a member of the ruling class that came down that golden escalator and started to tell the truth, something that we were not used to as a country. We said, we're losing. We have people pouring over our southern border. We've lost to China for years. Here's what we have to do to win again. And it was so refreshing. It was like a, it was just ice water on our face that woke up our country. And we didn't even know how to deal with it at first. And it was so overdue. It was decades of betrayal and of just happy talk from politicians that, quite honestly, we're not generally invested in the middle class of this country. And I, I really do believe, and you mentioned the, the, the culture war earlier, and I'm a big believer in this, that the culture is incredibly important. In fact, it's the most important thing, that you cannot have a country without a culture. And Ben Shapiro's new book talks about this too. You have to have a shared philosophy, history, and culture. Where I, where I try to contribute to the argument is something that we as conservatives don't always engage in, and Tucker Carlson agrees with me. Actually, I agree with Tucker on this. How dare I say that? I agree with Tucker on this is a better way to say it. And, and he's been very, um, very vocal on this, and I think it's a mixture of both, and I don't know the percentage of which side it is. But I, I think that if you have an economic decline in the middle class, the culture is an incomplete picture, right? So you have to have people in the American middle class that feel invested in the very country that they live in and just say that everything is going great for the American middle class always. That's just not true. The tax burden, the regulatory burden, their their wealth per capita has been put in jeopardy in a lot of different ways in the last couple, 10 to 20 years. And I think in that, in a lot of ways, that actually creates a gateway to socialism. And so I think that we, of course, have to win the culture war, but we also have to get serious about improving the material well-being of a lot of middle-class families. And that doesn't mean giving them free stuff. In fact, I think the last stimulus bill was one of the worst pieces of legislation in American history. And this is where I disagreed with Congressman Crenshaw very politely. I had him on my podcast, and I asked him why he voted for it. Because I think it was a disaster. I think it hurt middle class families. It created money out of thin air. It subsidized bad behavior. But if we're not serious about creating a country where someone earning $80,000 a year with four kids doesn't have to go into debt and can take one or two vacations a year and can take weekends to be with his family and have a, have a wife that doesn't have to enter the workforce if she doesn't want to, then I think we're actually fooling ourselves as what to a successful country looks like. And so that's where I'm, uh, I'm, I'm focusing a lot more of my commentary on because I think that right now you're seeing this, the seeds of a socialist revolution grow further and actually is hitting fertile soil because a lot of people that I communicate with and the data reflects this, they think that the more they, 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 they're not convinced that the more they work and the more that they get into a marketplace, the better their life is going to be. Now, they might be wrong. 
And I think some of it is wrong. I think that you can actually still make good choices in this country and you can still succeed. But I do think that there is something to say that if you're in rural America and all of a sudden a manufacturing plant has left for the third time and wages in that county haven't gone up in 20 years and the only solution you have is to go move to Harris County, which, you know, what is fine, I guess. You know, I'm not exactly a fan of the hyper urbanization of America. I actually think that rural America needs to have more people, not less, in the sense that I think that rural America is dying. I don't think that's healthy for a country. I don't. And so I, I'm... A, I'm I'm a very I'm very worried that, you know, we have just kind of ignored the decline of the middle class. And even worse, some people have said it's not even happening, which is ridiculous. I mean, none of the data reflects that. I think that the middle class is struggling right now, especially post pandemic shutdowns. And I think, of course, all the solutions are conservative. So uh, I just had to contribute that. And I talk about it in the book. I talk about in the book that if you do not have a vibrant middle class, then you basically have handed the keys to the country to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib. Well, thank you so much, Charlie, for that uh, antidote. We're almost out of time, but uh, you said something there, and I, I saw something recently that, that I followed Ted Cruz, and he retweeted you, actually. He said oh. that I, I saw that you, you had put out that uh, Republicans should not support a bill, that a stimulus bill that support or promotes people not working. Oh, I, I didn't know I that, that Ted so retweeted that. Of what's going on. That's so cool. What was that? I didn't know Ted retweeted that. You know, it's so funny. Yeah, yeah, I deleted I Twitter. I deleted Twitter off my phone, so I text my team my tweets, so I don't actually check my notifications because uh, it's all a bunch. It's everyone hates me. Uh, so it's <laughs> it's it's an awful place of existence. That's kind of cool. Sorry, finish your thought. That made my day. I didn't know Ted retweeted. Ted's Ted is awesome, by the way. He's one of the few fighters. Yeah. But please continue. Yeah, yeah. So so tell us. My my point there is is tell us. Um, about the, the stimulus bill going on right now and, and what your thoughts are on it. I mean, maybe yeah. some of the more establishment Republicans think that if you have a, uh, a good stimulus bill that sort of meets the Democrats halfway, then that will increase their chances of winning an election. But I've heard Rand Paul say something about this, and, yeah. and I would like to hear what your thoughts are about it. Well, look, I, I'm in the minority opinion, so the opinion I'm about to express is not going to be held by a vast majority of Americans uh, or in D.C., but I think there should be no stimulus. So, I mean, I think the only stimulus we should have is tax cuts. That's it. I think that we should cut payroll taxes, give individual. I think we should abolish the FICA tax for workers. And I think we should fully reopen America and say, go back to work. The only thing I might favor is an infrastructure bill, because I think our country is miserably failing in infrastructure. And I think the middle class would benefit from that sort of surge of employment. And I don't think it would be stimulative. I actually just think it would be long term beneficial for the country. But I think the last stimulus bill was awful. It, it passed 96 to nothing. I know the senator, Senator Ted Cruz, voted for that, and he's he's justified, and I think his reasoning is pretty good, but I, I don't support it. Um, and look, there's a lot of different reasons for this. I, I'm a student of economics, and I, I have a very strong opinion that in times of chaos and crisis, the government does not necessarily have to step up through fiscal stimulus, let alone monetary stimulus. I think that this this entire shutdown was unnecessary, and we were trying to solve a self-inflate and we were trying to solve a self-inflicted crisis with a self-inflicted crisis. Like, what are we doing? Just open up the country. Yeah. And so I'm not a believer that giving more money to people that for nothing, just redistributive, redistributive economics, it's not stimulative, it's not moral, it's not good. The extra $600 in unemployment benefits ended up being one of the dumbest ideas in American economic history. Um, and I say all this as a Trump supporter. I, I get, trust me, I get it, why the president signed it. He had absolutely no choice, right, um, in his position. But I'm not in that position, so I can call balls and strikes out here, and I could tell you when a bill is garbage, and I'm going to tell you when a bill is garbage, right? And it was absolute nonsense. NPR got $75 million. PBS got $90 million. I might get that backwards. I mean, Im illegal immigrants got $300 million for their refugee resettlement. Um, some museum, the Kennedy Center got $25 million. It's, not, it's just ridiculous, and it's an insult to all of us that work really hard and pay our taxes. 
And so I'm actually a believer in the American people that when you go through a crisis, you should actually be very careful to engage in economic stimulus. I know that it might stimulate the market in the short term, and people love seeing that. But long term, it will just devalue your currency, put your nation further in debt, less economically and nationally secure, jeopardize the cultural security of the country. And I'm actually a believer that if you cut FICA taxes for anyone earning less than $95,000 a year, which would be a 7% income tax, 7% tax pre-tax income, incredible. It's just basically giving 7% of income to every family. So for example, if you're earning $60,000 a year, it'd be giving a family $4,500 a year. Think about that. That's way better than giving that silly little stimulus check that did basically nothing and was spent on a Netflix account or just shopping on Amazon, which, by the way, allowed an American hater, Jeff Bezos, to get $20 billion richer in the last couple of weeks, which wasn't exactly helpful. So I know we have to wrap, and so that's where, I'm, uh, that's where I stand on that. Yeah, well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. We've got to do everything that we can, here, especially here in Texas, uh, amid the mask orders, to safely reopen um, fully reopen our economy and, and get it working for Americans again. Uh, last question, Charlie. I've, I've heard you beautifully state this. Um, tell us what Make America Great Again means to you, because I, I think there's a lot of people that have different ideas about that, especially on yeah. the left, maybe in the center. And uh, people like to say that that slogan is racist. And what do you say about that? I've, I've heard you speak on this before, so I'd love to hear yeah, it's nonsense. I mean, look, it's a return to the heroism of America when we took down the Berlin Wall. It's a return to when we defeated two forms of totalitarianism at once in World War II. It's a return to a country that fought in the Korean War and asked for nothing in return except for the land to bury our dead, and we had the creation of South Korea. Make America Great Again is a country that makes stuff that you consume. It's one where you stand for the national anthem, not kneel for it. It's one where we have families that stay together and churches the expectation to attend. Look, if you go through the words all together, make, which is something that is actually very action-oriented, America, what does America even mean? Well, America is a place, it's a people, it's a history, and it's, a, of course, ideas all tied together. But America is special. America is a gift from God. America is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given our earth, and we must preserve, protect it, and bring it back to greatness. And, of course, make America great. What does great mean? Well, it's, it's, an, it's an aspiration of being better tomorrow than you are today. And sometimes you have to look backwards and see where were you once great and can we get there again, which is, of course, the last part of that phrase. Now that we have all these shutdowns and these self-inflicted wounds and all this nonsense that we've gone through and these unnecessary orders and what's happened in Texas, I disagree with a lot of it. I think it's unnecessary and it's wrong and it's backwards. And I know so many people suffering because of it. But what's done is done. And I talk and say things and people do things. And so that's do things and legislatively and politically. And that's how it is. But if we're serious about restoring our country, making sure that it does not come a socialist one, we have to get very serious about how success and how greatness comes. And that comes from individual initiative, liberty, strong families, a Christian construct, one that respects the Constitution and is willing to make America flourish again. That means reopening our country fully now. Well, couldn't agree, Charlie. And, and our country may not be perfect, but it is blessed by God. It is truly an exceptional nation. And we're grateful for our country, and we've got to continue to be great. Um, thank you so much for being thank on. You. I really appreciate the time. Look forward to seeing you September 19th um, at the Texas Youth Summit. And we'll, we'll be look there. forward to talking more there.